Hello, friends. Welcome to another edition of Awaken the Extraordinary. My name is Christy Madero, and I am so glad you're here. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. And if this is the first time you are joining, welcome. Awaken the Extraordinary is about choosing to thrive instead of survive. It's about awakening to that which is already extraordinary within yourself and really taking a look at what may be preventing you from being the best version of yourself, from living the life that you want to live, the life that you feel like you were always designed to live. Because often it's our own stuff. It's our own bullshit that we need to one, have the courage to look at, have the courage to acknowledge, have the courage to work through. And then we will become that most expansive, amazing kick-ass version of ourselves. And as I say it, it reminds me of the episode where, um, of friends, of course, where Rachel feels like, uh, the manager that she's interviewing with at Ralph Lauren is coming on to her. And so she comes in and she's listing all of these things that, you know, she has, so she has courage and she's not litigious and she has courage. And she's like, you can never have too much courage. Right. So to me, that's really what it's about is having the courage to really look at yourself acknowledge the stuff that's within you, that's holding you back. That's keeping you from being that kick-ass version of yourself. And then having the courage to work through that, because a lot of the times, like it's not easy, it's not fun, but once you break through to the other side, kind of like that old doors song, like there's some amazing stuff there. And there's also some amazing stuff like in that process. So that's what Awaken the Extraordinary is. And I thank you for joining me on this journey. I am right alongside most of you. I don't have everything figured out. I'm learning as I go. And that's likely going to be the case for the rest of my life. So thank you so, so much for being here. And um, let's dive in, shall we? So this episode was actually voted on as the next episode drop. Um, I have to admit, I'm not super stoked to be giving this person more airtime, I guess. He, he definitely got a lot of it about 10 years ago. Um, but I believe that education in terms of interacting with a narcissist, I feel like it's needed. I I feel like there are many of us who are in emotionally abusive relationships and may may not even be aware of it. Um, We just know that like, it doesn't feel good. Um, And I didn't even know that that's what this relationship was until I got out of it. Um, And then because of this relationship, I was then able to have a better understanding of my mother and our relationship. So I may not have the best 
recollection of this entire relationship. As I said, I met him over 10 years ago. I met him um, in the fall, I believe, of 2009. And um, we were together off and on for two years. And I think, um, like, what happens with really uh, most painful situations or a lot of painful situations, I think you block a lot of it out. And um, I think that's what I did with a lot of this. But there is a lot that I remember. Um, I don't want to give a play-by-play of everything, but I want to give a high a high enough level overview um, to help you just kind of understand what this relationship was like. And, um, and then I have some, you know, common signs of a narcissist as well as, uh, the whole theory of gray rock, which I did. And I didn't even realize that it was a thing until afterwards, actually until, um, I started educating myself on narcissistic mothers. That's when I learned what this term actually meant. And I was like, oh yeah, that's what I did with that guy. So um, here we go. I don't want to use his real name. So I will do my best to just refer to him as Adam. Um, Again, note that is not his real name. So my dog is freaking out in the background. Um, Okay. So I met Adam in, I think, late summer, early fall of 2009. And I had been living at home with my parents. I was in my early thirties and things got really bad at home. And, um, my mother was extremely controlling and, uh, I had had enough And, um, you know, like I had a curfew in my thirties, I had a curfew of 9 PM when in high school, I never even had a curfew. Like it was just, uh, not okay. So just to share with you what I was leaving, um, I think I may have shared this in a previous episode, but when I kind of just got fed up with what was happening in my parents' house and primarily with my mother, um, I had called somebody that I had been dating, Um, but we had decided like, it just wasn't the right time, but we were still really good friends. And, uh, I just called him one morning and I was crying and, um, he was like, what do you need to get out? And I said, I found a room to rent, but I, I need money for a deposit. So he gave me the cash for a deposit and I stuck it in my dresser drawer and, uh, told my parents, I, I'd found a place that I was moving out and, my parents were both livid, my mother, especially, I think because she had told me if I didn't like it, I could pack my shit and get out. So that's what I did. And so I didn't understand why she was so pissed when I did what she told me to do. I didn't like dealing with her shit and her drama at the age of 30 something. I didn't like having a curfew at the age of 30 something and didn't like being told I couldn't go into a certain room at a certain time. I just didn't like it. And, um, you know, her house, her rules. I didn't like having less freedom than I did like 20 years prior, um, or 10 years prior, whatever. Clearly my math is great. 
And uh, they were really pissed. And so she started interrogating me about how I had saved up that money because I had to pay her rent and I had a lot of debt. And I just told her, I said, I, I had been saving it and it wasn't any of her business. And I had been saving it. I was saving the cash in my dresser drawer. And she actually had threatened to call the bank because her name was on the bank account. Um, she had threatened to call the bank and verify whether or not I had actually been saving it. I don't know why it was such a big deal. I do now. Um, but I don't know why it was such a big deal. Like at that moment in time, I'm like, you told me that if I didn't like something to leave. So that's what I'm doing. And I think I did something that caught her completely off guard and she was not privy to any of that. So I didn't like the fact that as a 30 year old woman, she was going to call the bank and ask if I had been saving this money. And so I called the bank. Um, I think that was on a Friday. I told them I was moving out. So I called the bank first thing Monday morning. And I had asked, um, if she would be given this information and because she was on the account, they would give her that information. So I closed my bank account that day and I opened a new one. And I don't know if she ever called. I'm thinking she didn't, um, because she would have said something if she had called and the bank account was closed. So anyway, that's what I was leaving. And I rented a room from this girl who, um, her dad owned the condo and, oh my gosh, like that is roommate drama. <laughs> oh my gosh. That girl, that girl was something, man. Um, so anyway, I moved into this condo, um, in East County here in San Diego and was renting a room and I could take my dogs and it was really nice. I was close to work. I was like 15 minutes away from work with no traffic. Um, it was kind of a bummer because I was out there alone. Like all of my friends live, um, closer to the Chula Vista area where I grew up. And so I was out there alone and it was just, um, lonely, <laughs> I guess. but I mean, it was fine. I, I had my dogs and I was, um, running a lot and I was, I was happy, you know, I, I was really happy and, um, I would always park on the side of the condo. So the condo was on the corner and then across the street from that were apartment building was an apartment building. And so I would always park my car on the street, which was right next to the back door. And, um, there was this guy that had a blue Jetta and he would park across the street. And, um, like I would see him periodically and I was just like, well, whatever. But then one day I saw him, I think I was either coming home or something and, um, or leaving for work. And I think he had just come home and, uh, cause he was in the military and he was getting into his car. He was taking stuff out. And I saw a shirt that referenced, um, some sand dunes. And when my husband and I were dating, because this was during our breakup, um, you know, when we were dating, we would go to the sand dunes all the time. So I commented on the shirt and we started talking and because I was still friends with my husband, there's, there's a lot. I I've stayed friends with a lot of people that I've dated for a period of time. Um, but because I was still connected to, um, my husband, who is my ex at the time. And he's very much into like off-road 
power sports stuff. I said, Hey, like, here's my card. Um, you know, if you ever need like quad parts or anything along those lines, like let me know. And I could probably like hook you up with someone who may be able to get you a deal. I didn't know that he didn't have a quad or anything like that. I just, since he was going to the sand dunes, I assumed that he did. And so it was like, oh, okay, cool. And that was the intent with me giving him my card. And I think back now, I didn't know who this freaking guy was. I give him my business card. So it has my company name on it. It has the address. I did have my cell phone number on it. My personal cell phone number. I would never use my personal cell phone number for like a corporate job ever again. But I was like, oh my God, like, why did I even do that? So then a couple of days later, he texted me and he was like, Hey, like my friend and I, like we're, we're hanging out we're doing laundry and having pizza. Like, do you want to come over and hang out? And I was like, um, no, that's okay. Because I was like, I don't know who this guy is. I don't know who his friend is. Yeah. Like I'm going to go hang over at their, at his apartment with them. Like, no, that's not happening. Um, so he was just like, okay, that's fine. So then over time, like we would see each other periodically and, um, you know, just getting into the cars and stuff and text periodically. And I was like, okay, like he seems like a kind of cool guy. So we started hanging out and then one thing led to another and we started dating, but it was not like this serious thing. Um, it was just, you know, occasionally hanging out and stuff. And so then during that time, um, in my last podcast episode, I mentioned that I had gotten on this really terribly produced karaoke TV show. And at this point, the guy seemed okay, right? Like he seemed okay. And something happened. I don't remember what it was, but it was the time of that show. And, um, something I did pissed him off and he got so pissed. Like, I don't, I, I was just like the texts he was sending were just so mean. And I never ever interacted with anybody like that before. And I was like, holy shit. Oh my gosh. What happens when you have your dog in with you when you're recording? So anyway, I was just like, holy shit, like this guy is just like mean. And you know, my my show had aired, I think, by that time. So there was probably like a couple of weeks where we didn't talk. And I was just like, please, God, please don't let me see him because he's across the street. And we seem to run into each other all the time now because now we know who the other is and our cars and all of that stuff. So anyway, my show hit air and it was like, it was a lame show, but I was really excited because I had to compete to get on and I won my episode and it was a really cool experience. Like it was kind of like a mini American idol, you know, like you had cameras follow you around and I got to stay in a nice hotel in downtown San Diego. And, and I had a friend come and like hang out with me the night before the show. And, and it was a really cool experience. The show itself was awful, but the whole experience was just awesome. And so he was being so cruel. Like he was ragging on the TV show and how shitty it was and how stupid it was. And eventually, like I just stopped responding to him and 
again, it was so weird because I was like, I don't think I've ever interacted with someone in my life who has just been mean, like, just like, I don't even know. I'm trying to think like angry eight-year-old boy, someone hurt his feelings. The girl he liked, didn't like him back. Like, that's just kind of like what it felt like. And I, and I was just like, wow, this is crazy. So then I start getting text messages that are like, oh my gosh, like, I'm so sorry. Like you're so, you know, you're so amazing. Well, that is actually something that they call they, meaning I think like therapists and others love bombing. So it's when they basically, when these people shit on you are terrible, terrible people to you and they push you away, like you reach your breaking point and you're like, fuck you. Like, I'm not going to deal with this shit anymore. And then they realize what they did and they want to reel you back in. So then it's like, it's that term love bombing where it's just like, oh my gosh, like, I'm so sorry. You are so wonderful. Like I was so stupid, blah, blah, blah. Like just piling it on, piling it on, piling it on. Now I am a pretty forgiving person. Um, and I've since learned to forgive people, not for them, but for me. But at that time, um, I mean, this was over 10 years ago. I was just like, okay, like I forgive you. Like this is, it's not fine, but just don't treat me like that again. Okay. And I didn't, I thought it was just like an isolated incident, but as time went on, things like that became far less, um, or became far more common. Um, so that I want to say was like in October of Oh nine. So in February, so that this was Valentine's day. Um, he was in the shower and something went off on his phone and I don't know what told me to look at his phone, but I looked at his phone and it was a text from the ex-girlfriend that he was dating when, so he had broken up with this girl right before he and I started dating. And then right when he and I started dating, he found out that she was pregnant. As, as I, as I sit here and just recount this, I'm just like rolling my eyes at myself. So she found out she was pregnant. They decided that it was the best thing to not have the baby. So she had an abortion and in with all of that stuff was like, I need to get this figured out. And I was like, you know what? Like, that's fine. Like I respect that. Um, you and I are just getting to know each other. Like that's totally fine. And I was cool. But then eventually it was like, oh, okay, well, she's she's going to have an abortion. We're not going to be together in any way, shape or form. And so then 
he and I started talking and then there was like the whole TV show thing and, and him just being an asshole, then the love bombing. And then we get back together and then it's Valentine's day. Right. So then I started looking at his phone and there's text. And, and let me just tell you too, like he had already told me that he loved me. Okay. So I'm going through his texts and there's text between him and his ex-girlfriend as of the night before him telling her, I love you so much, baby, blah, blah, blah. So I just was like, what the fuck? Right. If I had to do, if I was in that same situation now, I think I would have just left. Like I just would have been done and, and just been done, but that's not what I did. So, so I grabbed his phone. He was in the shower and I ripped open the shower curtain and I started screaming and I was recounting all of the texts. And then I took his phone and I hurled it at him in the shower and it broke. So I was like, well, I guess you can't fucking text her now. Can you? So then I like had gotten him this book. I think it was like an Ozzy Osbourne book or something for Valentine's day. So I took that, I went and grabbed that and I chucked it at him. Cause I had like brought over his gift and, um, I was pissed. So then I go across the street to my place and he like had gotten the shower. It was like what I think about it. It was actually really funny just to have someone in such a vulnerable position and just be chucking shit at them. Like I, I have to admit there was a part of my mind that was like, this is kind of funny as hell, man. Like, like you're just taking a shower to do. And then someone rips over the shower curtain and then all of a sudden they're throwing shit at you. Mind you, that is not typical behavior of me either. I think my very first relationship that I'd ever gotten into when I was like 17, I realize now he was a very controlling person. And even back then I thought he was, but now I realize how controlling he was. So there was a lot of like that stupid drama that I think I had just attributed to us being teenagers. Um, and I don't know if that's normal or not. I have no frame of reference, but that's kind of how that relationship was. But since then, so like for over 10 years, I hadn't been in a relationship where I had acted that way. And then here this is. And, and so I go back home and he comes over and he had thrown some clothes on and there was no acknowledgement of anything that I had said, or the fact that he had been like, I don't know if he was sleeping with this girl. Like, I don't know what was happening, but there was no acknowledgement of any of that. It was about the fact that I broke his phone and it was like, you broke my fucking phone. And I was like, I don't give a shit about your fucking phone. Like you go fix it. You want me to pay for it. Then you take me to fucking court, man. Like you do that because I don't care. Like that's the least of what you deserve because like I wasn't talking to anybody else. So later that I, I was so pissed, like I packed up my dogs. I went over to my parents' house, like, cause once I moved out, they chilled out. Um, and I like told them what had happened and 
I just like, I felt so stupid. Like, I was just like, what the fuck? Like he, he gave me warning signs before just being just an awful person. And what am I doing? Like I go back to the night, you know, like just so stupid. And so later that afternoon, he starts texting me and I'm like, Oh, well, I guess the fucker got a brand new phone. And I know I'm dropping a lot of F-bombs. This person recounting this is just bringing a lot of this stuff up. So I'm hoping you're not listening around your kids. If you are stop. Um, but anyway, he was texting me and so I'm like, Oh, I guess he got it. And, and it was the, it was the love bombing. It was like, I'm so sorry, blah, blah, blah. Like you're the only woman for me, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, I just don't even want to hear this. And I think my mom and, or maybe my sister were like, you know, like maybe you should talk to him. And I was just like, no, like, I don't, I don't want to talk to him. Like one, it like totally bruised my ego, but two, I was just like, I, I know I deserve better than this. Like, I know I deserve better than this. And this drama, like this angry ass, crazy woman that like freaked out, like that's, that's not who I want to be. Like, this isn't bringing out the best side of me, but it was the love bombing over and over every day. And I don't remember a lot of the details after that. Um, but I feel like what also didn't help the situation is that he and I lived literally like right across the street from each other. So it's like, I knew I was going to see him at some point. And I do think looking back the way he was like, he never, he never hit me. Um, I don't, I don't remember. No, he did grab me. Like he grabbed me several times. Um, and that's something that my very first boyfriend had done. So I remember recounting this actually like many years ago and laughing about it, but it was like my, my very first boyfriend, he would tell me like, come here. And I wouldn't go. And I'd be like, no. And so what this guy would do, this is my very first first boyfriend as he, and he would pick me up and he would literally put me where he wanted me. And I was pissed about that. And then I think over time that just kind of softened in my mind. And then I was thinking about it recently. And I was like, why would I laugh when I would recount that to someone like, oh yeah, like I, I didn't do what he wanted me to do. So he would like pick me up and like literally put me where he wanted me. Ha <laughs> ha. Like I would laugh and I'm like, what the hell? Like, why did I think that was even funny? And I don't remember what the other people's reactions were, but I was just like, oh my God. So I do remember this person, Adam, I think that's what I decided his name was. Right. Like grabbing my, like grabbing my wrists and stuff. Like if I would try to get away. And so I think I was afraid of him to some degree because the person that he would become when he was angry, I was, I was afraid because I didn't know it was like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So you have this person that's just like saying, it's like he had watched every freaking romantic movie in the world and had remembered that and remembered all of those lines all of the right things to say. 
But then the second you pissed him off or the second you did something that he wasn't expecting or that he didn't want you to do, he flipped the fuck out and he would just become this evil version of himself. And I think, you know, we all have that. We all have that shadow, right? We all have that darker version of ourselves, but I'm just like, I've never seen it to this degree, like directed towards me. And so I think there was like an element of fear because I just didn't know what he would do. And the fact that we lived right across the street from each other just made the situation worse because I was like, he could do something to my car. Um, my dogs, I had my dog Snickers and Twinkie. I was just like, I just, I don't know. Like, what if he threw something poisoned? Cause I had a balcony and I'm like, what if he threw some poison meat on my balcony and my dogs ate it? Like, I just didn't trust him. So what do you do when you don't trust somebody? Oh, like you get back together with them. So that's what I did. And, um, that just continued. Um, it's just these, these cycles of just these crazy ass outbursts, something else, um, that made the situation even more fun is that he had been married and he had two children with this person who lived a couple of miles away and the girls were actually really good girls. Um, the oldest one was, and when I, when I met them, they were like five and three, I think. Um, and the oldest one was a handful. She, I felt like was very much like her mother. And I can say this because I feel like the mother had a lot of issues. Um, there was a lot of drama between her and Adam. Um, this woman worked at the Starbucks that I would frequent. And I later heard that she tried to file a restraining order on me um, that would keep me from going into Starbucks. And I think I only saw her in there once or twice. And I was completely civil and friendly to her. And she was so civil and friendly to me that I thought she didn't even know who I was, but then she texted the guy later and said, you need to tell your girlfriend to stop fucking coming into like my place of business. And I'm like, I get coffee. And I started going there before you even work there. And trust me, honey, like, I don't want to see you. Like there was one time where I was coming out of the apartment and she was waiting in her van for her girls. And then I just like saw her and I went across the street to my place. I didn't like that. She knew where I lived either. And then she like texted and told the guy, Adam, she's like, you need to tell your girlfriend to stop flipping me off. And I'm like, what? I'm like, I, what is she even talking about? Like, that's not something that I do. And I'm like, and I would never do that to her. And I certainly would never do that if your children are there. Like, I was just like, oh my God. And then, oh my gosh, I don't even want to like, I don't even want to go down that road, but she was sorry. Like she was a head case too. Like she was a freaking head case. Like 
I later learned that she had tried to, I think I mentioned this, like tried to get a restraining order against me. Like I learned this years later and I'm like, I hope the judge like laughed because there was nothing that I ever did. Like it, it was just there, it was so much drama and, and between him and her and the girls, I was just like, what am I in? Like she had accused my dog of biting her youngest daughter, which he didn't do. And I had to quarantine my dog for like a week. Like he was basically like on house arrest. All I could do was take him out to go to the bathroom because she was convinced that my dog had bit her child when he did snap at her because the guy I was dating was not paying attention to his child and she pulled my dog's ears and he snapped at her, but he did not touch her at all, but he snapped, but she said he bit her. And, uh, even though we took her to the doctor, the doctor was like, yeah, I don't see anything, but in this picture, which was a freckle, she's like, that could have been a mark from his, his tooth. And I'm just like, oh my God. So my dog was on house arrest. And I was just like, this is fucking crazy. And so every time I would tell him like, this is too much, like you are too much. Like she is too much. Like everything is just too much. It was just like, are you really going to let her like break us up? Like, you know how good it is between us when it's good, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, yeah, like when he wanted to be amazing, he could be amazing. But when he wanted to be like the devil, he like, it was no problem. Like he could do a 180. My, my God, like faster than anything else, faster than I would fall. If I put on roller skates, like he is just, he was crazy. Like he was crazy. Like I'm probably not using politically correct terms, but that's how I felt. And that's how I feel like, oh my God. So then, um, oh my gosh. So then there was a wedding that, um, I went to and he was not invited because he and I, there was always so much drama that my friend who was getting married, she didn't even invite him. Now she didn't even tell me he wasn't invited. I assumed that he was. And when I called to say like, Hey, like, this is what he wants to eat. Then she told me, Oh yeah, well, he's actually not invited because you guys fight all the time. And I would have appreciated a little heads up, but I got it. And I was like, yeah, um, we argue all the time. And I understood that. And that was something else that I like, I'm remembering now is I would never make plans with my friends because I would always have to cancel them because he and I were arguing about something stupid. And it wasn't like just a little bicker session. It was like a full blown argument where we're yelling and screaming at each other. And you want to know for me, like the most heartbreaking thing, like this never happened when his daughters were there. I would never, ever do that. But like the most heartbreaking thing for me is we would do this and my dogs, like my dogs were there and they would always hide under the bed, 
like they would leave, they would, they would jump off the couch or whatever, and they would go into another room and they would hide under the bed. And that just killed me. And, um, it made me sad because I was just like, I don't ever want to commit to doing anything with my friends because I'm pretty sure we're going to be arguing that day. What do you have going on that day? Oh, let me see. Oh, arguing with Adam. That's what we're going to do. We're going to argue. And then I'm going to end up having to cancel. And it just, it felt shitty, you know? Um, and it was just this vicious cycle where he would push and push and push. And I'd be like, fuck this dude. Like I'm out. And then it would be the, like the silence or the love bombing to get back in my good graces. And looking back, I think when we initially got together, I felt okay about myself. I don't think going from, to me, an emotionally abusive relationship with my mother into something that was emotionally abusive that I didn't realize at the time was the best thing for me to do, but I didn't know that going into it. Um, but I feel like at first I was just like, okay, well, I'm get, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. And then over time, it just became our cycle. And it was so interesting because I've always looked at relationships that are off again, on again, off again, on again. And I'm just like, what are you doing? Like, I never had a relationship like that. And so to be in a relationship like that, I was like, what am I doing? But I just couldn't make the break as awful as I felt. There were times where it was just like, I think I had almost become addicted to that cycle. I had become addicted to those feelings. And even though this relationship was unlike anything else I had ever experienced, I just accepted like, maybe this is just how a relationship is supposed to be. And thinking about it now, this volatile relationship is very much what I was accustomed to seeing growing up. My parents argued all the time and it wasn't just bickering, although there was bickering, there were these very like loud outbursts where they were yelling and screaming. And my dad was slamming doors and punched a hole in the wall. And, and it was such a volatile environment. And so I think even though I knew it didn't like it, or even though I knew I didn't like it, there was a part of me that felt comfortable, even though it didn't feel good. It felt comfortable. And then I think over time, this cycle of just being with someone who was so mean, like he would say, he knew what to say to like, hit me right in the heart. And during one of our times where we were broken up, like I had a timer on in my bedroom so that like, if I wasn't home, when the sun went down, my lamps would turn on for my dog. So they wouldn't be in the dark. And I remember there were a couple nights where I was going out and I didn't realize the lights weren't on. And I just felt so bad. Like once I realized that, which thanks was thanks to him, but he did it in a really asshole way. Like he texted me and was like, Oh, like it must be fun going out every night. And, you know, he's like, you must not give a shit about your dogs because they're always in the dark. 
you know, like you don't come home till 11, 10 or 11 at night and your dogs are in the fucking dark. Like you must not care about them. And, um, I was like, okay, that's scary that he's monitoring when I'm home. And two, I felt really bad about my dogs. Like, and I was just like, don't you fucking tell me that I don't care about my dogs. Like those dogs, they were with me for almost 17 and 16 years. And they were my everything. And the fact that like, he said that, like, it just, it just killed me. And so over time, like the, to me, like the emotional abuse and the emotional beatings that I took, it started to wear me down and it started to wear down like my self-worth, I guess. And what I chose to accept versus what I was, would have just been like, fuck you, dude. You know, like the strength that I had and the belief in myself that I was worthy of something better that just started to like disappear because I was just constantly getting beat down and beat down. But then when he would come back with like the whole love bombing thing, I was like a sponge because it's like, that's what I wanted. I want, I wanted someone, I wanted to feel like somebody loved me. I wanted to feel like I was the most important person in the world to them. So he knew all the right things to say, to reel me in. And over time, I just got weaker and weaker. And I think, you know, the timing of it too, you know, as I shared in the podcast episode that dropped on Friday, um, you know, my now husband and I, like we had broken up and I was devastated. Like that is something I never, ever thought would happen. And so it made me doubt, I guess, like my ability to be loved and feel loved because I felt so loved by my husband, you know, before when we were dating, like no one, I just never felt that loved and appreciated for just who I was. I never felt just accepted for who I was. And then to have someone go, yeah, I don't know what I want anymore. Meaning I don't know if I want to be with you anymore because he started dating somebody else after we broke up. And that's a whole fucking story too. Um, I think there's a part of me that's like, maybe this is as much as I, I can get, you know, maybe this is good as as good as it gets for me. And even though I don't like it, like, I don't know, maybe it's better than being alone. When he was having those good moments, that was better than being alone. But when he would become this awful version of himself, it was awful and I was scared and I just didn't trust what he would do or wouldn't do when he was angry. So man, that went, that went on. Um, 
off and on for about a year. Um, trying to think. God. It seems like it was so much longer than that. Oh my God. So yeah. Oh my gosh. I think I started telling the story about the wedding. I don't even remember what I was. I just remember like, yeah, like I couldn't make plans because we're always arguing and, and the night of the wedding, we were supposed to go get drinks. It was supposed to be fun because I was going to go in my bridesmaid's dress. And I did something that pissed him off. And I remember running across the street in my bridesmaid dress and changing. And we didn't go out because I did something that made him mad. Oh, I remember I had two drinks. So at the reception, I had told him that I wouldn't drink because I don't know. I think he was just uneasy about me being around other people and drinking, but it was a wedding and I was having fun. And I was with like people I'd seen, like hadn't seen since high school. And so I had two drinks and I remember him asking me that as I was leaving and I told him yes. And he got mad. And so I went over to his apartment when I got home and he was livid. And so I remember running across the street to my place and yeah, we didn't go because he was mad because I had two drinks. So that level of control, um, he didn't have it. So it wasn't like he was concerned about my safety and driving home. It was just that element of control and being like, well, I'm not sure what you're going to do if you have any drinks. So when I did nothing, by the way, um, so this went on, like I said, off and on for about a year. Um, and was it? Yeah. And then I had decided, um, my roommate was way too much for me, way too much. And so I was like, peace out. I'm moving back home. And, um, my plan was to get another place, but I needed to get out of the roommate situation. Like ASAP, when I made the decision to move back to my parents' house, Adam and I were broken up yet again. I think this was in like November of 2010. Um, and he was going on deployment in January. Um, so he was getting ready to move out of his apartment too. And, um, when he found out I was moving home, this was actually, I think our longest breakup. Um, he started love bombing me again. And I knew that this is not something that I wanted to be in. I didn't want to go home, but I knew that this is something that I did not want to be in with him. Um, and I'm going to share something that is not going to paint me in the best light. And I'm okay with that. Um, so he was like, look, why don't we get, we'll get back together, you know, cause I love you. It was like all the love bombing shit. And he's like, we're going to get back together. And then look, I'm going to be on deployment. I'm giving up my apartment. Why don't we get an apartment in Chula Vista close to your parents and you can just stay there. And then when I come back from deployment, like 
that's where we'll live and we'll be closer to your parents and everything. And there was a part of me that was like, well, maybe this has been our longest breakup. So maybe, um, there's that delusional part of me. That's like, maybe this will work. Even though I was like, I'm happy without him. Like, I don't have that stress there, that love bombing. Like I respond, I responded to that. Right. So there was that, I was like, well, maybe he's changed and maybe the deployment will actually do, do us some good, you know? Um, and then there was another part of me that was like, and even if it doesn't, I get to have my own apartment and pay like a quarter of the rent, which we agreed to, um, pay a quarter of the rent for like five or six months. And I get to have my own place. If it works out. Okay. I don't think it will, but I'll give it a shot. And if it doesn't, then I have my own place for five or six months. Okay. Then let's do this. And we did. And, uh, I didn't feel guilty because (laughs) the thought of having my own place for five or six months, like not going from emotionally abusive mother to emotionally abusive boyfriend back to emotionally abusive mother. I was like, my brain, like my soul needs this. And it wasn't like I was going to go out and party and cheat on him. Like I was training for a marathon. Like I started training for a marathon the same week he left. Like my dogs and marathon training, like, and painting the apartment were my life. And I didn't have an interest in like any other person. I, that was my life. And, um, he went out on deployment, I think like a few days after the new year. And, um, it was really nice. Like there was some unease because, during one of our breakups, I found out that he had hooked up ugh, with someone else on the ship. So he was in the Navy. He had hooked up with some girl on the ship and we had gone to a holiday party in December after we had gotten back together and she was really weird. And just the way she was acting, I was like, I know something happened because I had seen her at his apartment. It was just, it was so much drama. And so I found out like she was going to be on the ship with him. And he had told me that nothing had ever happened. But then I found out later that something actually had, which just grosses me out. And so then I was worried about him being on deployment and her being on the same ship. But I was like, and then his other ex that he had gotten pregnant. And so I was just like, whatever, whatever. Like I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm in my place. Like I I was very anxious for like the first couple of weeks. And then I eventually got used to like not hearing from him all the time, um, which I know is normal. Like I would send care packages to him. I even sent care packages to his daughters who were living in another state. Like on his behalf. And then I was scolded and told not to do that because they didn't actually come from him. So I was just like, whatever. So 
we actually got along really well when he was on deployment because he wasn't around. I mean, I think there were a couple of like little bickering things, but it wasn't drama. Right. So then I found out that he would, he was coming home a month earlier and I was like, actually like, fuck, like I was super bummed and I'm like, well, I guess this tells me like how I really feel, but, um, you know, I was, I was hopeful. Like I was just like, okay, well maybe this, um, maybe this will be different, you know? And like when I went, you know, when the, the ship came in, like I had actually gotten my hair done that morning, like had done like the victory rolls and was like very 1940s. Cause I just thought that would be like super cute to kind of dress like that. And I had like this really cute sign that I had made and, you know, I was actually really happy to see him. And I think for maybe a week, like everything was like all good. Um, and then it was just like the same old shit was happening. Like, we would, we would get into screaming matches, um, and it would be over stupid shit. And then there were things where it's like, I was actually sitting there and I was like, okay, but do you understand like why this, this upsets me? And whenever I would say like, okay, like we need to talk about this, or I don't want to sit in the room, like while you're Skyping with your daughters, because your ex-wife is there and I just feel really anxious and I just want to go in the other room. And it became, because I knew she was just like evil towards me too. And I was just like, I don't want to sit here and subject myself to that. And then it was just like all of these guilt trips. And then I would be upset about that. And then it was always just like, well, like, why don't you support me? Why don't you love me? Like how I felt never mattered. If something bothered me and I went to talk to him his response was never like, oh, okay, well, let's talk about that. It was always like, well, what about this? You do this. Like there was just never this ability to have a real conversation. And so then I was sitting there. I remember sitting there one day and going like, am I going crazy? Like, and that's when like the whole gaslighting thing clicked. So if you're not familiar with like what gaslighting is, um, I'm going to read this, but it's psychological abuse where a person or a group makes someone question their sanity, their perception or reality or the memories. And people often feel confused, um, and unable to trust themselves. And honestly, I kind of feel like that's what's happening in a lot of the world, but that will be a podcast for another time. But that's what I was feeling as I was just like, Oh my God, like, am I going crazy? Like, am I really stupid? Like, does, should this really bother me the way it does? Or is what he's saying true? And I am a very rational and logical person. And if I like fuck up, or if I feel like I've done something wrong, like, I feel like I I'm, I have no issue like owning that. But I was sitting there and I was just like, am I really like the, I remember sitting there going like, am I really like the one who's like overreacting? Am I like, and I was doubting myself and I was like, no, like I then started thinking about his ex-wife and how 
like crazy she was like just crazy and I was like I wonder what she was like before she met him because I started to feel like I was becoming that way with him not with anybody else but with him and I was like um yeah this is a big problem because I'm not crazy. Like, I know I am not crazy. I know I'm logical. And this is the only relationship that I've really ever had like this. So if I was like this, I feel like pretty much every relationship that I'd ever been in would be like this. And it wasn't. And so once I started to be able to kind of relate (laughs) to his ex-wife that I felt like, I have nothing in common with this woman, aside from the fact that we're both females and we were stupid enough to get in a relationship with this guy. Um, I was like, yeah, something needs to change. Um, so I want to say this is around like August, September timeframe. And, uh, we had signed a joint lease our lease was up in the, at the end of November and it was around, I think it was labor day. It was labor day weekend. And, um, we were arguing again and I was just like, why am I doing this? Because like, I know I don't want to be in this. Like, I don't know how this is going to work with us having this like joint lease. And, um, I was just trying to get through until that time. And then I'd be like, Hey, I'm not going to sign the lease anymore. Peace out. And I'm gone. Right. Um, but I remember like we were screaming at each other and I remember seeing my dogs jump off the couch in the living room and run into the bedroom and hide under the bed. And I'm like, I'm fucking done. Like I'm just done. And so I was like, I'm done. Like I, I cannot do this anymore. How can you say you're happy? Like this is our every day nearly. And I mean, it literally was like every day that we would get into these screaming matches. And it was always about something that I was doing wrong, something that he didn't like. There was never any ownership. Whenever I tried to like get him, I guess, to take ownership of something, um, it wouldn't happen. It was always turned around on me. And again, what I was doing wrong. So I was just like, I just can't do this. And so it was like, ah, blah, blah, blah. something else I want to mention during this time, um, his car stopped working. So we only had one car between the two of us. So I would wake up and he would have to be to work. I think at like five 30, I would drive him to work about 15 minutes away. I would drive home and then I would start getting ready. And then he would have a friend drop him off. And this continued for months. And uh, then my parents went on vacation and he borrowed their car. And, and they did that to make it easier for me. So I didn't have to like deal with taking him places. And then He returned the car to them because he was pissed at me. He returned the car to them and he didn't fill up the gas tank. 
So then my mom gave me shit about that. That was my fault. And I'm just like, he's an asshole. Like the very first fall that we were together, he went over for Thanksgiving dinner and he got pissed at me and he just left and didn't say anything to my parents. And then my mom got mad at me because he was rude. And I'm just like, oh my God. Oh my God. You're probably listening and you're all girl. Like, what were you doing? And my answer is like, I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, I think when, when I told him, like I was done, I was, I I think he thought that we were going to get back together because why wouldn't he like, that's what we had been doing for about two years. Um, fortunately it was a two bedroom apartment. His girls were living in another state. So, um, he slept in the other room and I would still wake him up and, you know, or not wake him up, but we, he, we would wake up. I'd wake up early. Like I would take him to work. We tried to find like a middle ground and we were actually able to like get along. Okay. Um, and then he went to wake me up one night at like 11 o'clock and was like, Hey, can I borrow your car to go pick up my friend from the airport? And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, like my friend's coming in, even though I think this guy had a wife, he's like, my friend's coming in from the airport and he needs someone to pick him up. And I'm like, well, why can't his wife pick him up? And there was some excuse. And I was like, no, I'm like, you can't take my car and go pick up your friend. Like call, tell him to call one of his other friends or call a cab. And he lost his shit, lost his shit. Like I have never, ever seen him lose his shit like that before. And I'm like, fuck, like, I just really wanted to be asleep, you know? And he's yelling and screaming. And I was just like, because I told him now, like, I was like, what is this about? Like, I just said, no, you can't use my car. Like you can't go pick up your friend at the airport. Like, why is this such a big fucking deal? You know? But I was just like, holy shit. And he's like, I'm leaving. He's like, you're going to take me to the trolley station. You know, you're, you're going to go drop me off at like so-and-so's house. Like the trolley station's right there. Like he just like, I was like, what the fuck? And so he starts packing shit. And I was just like, I didn't want to take him. And I was honestly kind of afraid of what he would do. Um, And I was just like, okay. And then I was like, you know what? I just want him out. I just want him out. So I don't know why I took my dogs. I think because my dogs were like comforting to me, but I have no idea why, why I put them in this situation. So we're in my car and my dogs are in the back seat. And then my, my dog Snickers tries to crawl into his lap and he kind of like tosses him in the back. And I'm like, dude, I'm like, he doesn't fucking know what's going on. I'm like, don't you like fucking be an asshole to my dog, you know? And so he's just like going off and going off. And I mean, I can't even remember. It was like a 10 minute drive, but it was the longest 10 minute drive of my life at like midnight. Right. And so then, um, I go to drop him off. And he's like, you know, you better like fucking cut me a check for like those tires, tires. He did buy tires for my car. Right. Um, but that was all his choice. And I was like, dude, I don't have the money to pay for these tires, you know? And he was like, well, I'll just pay for them for you. And I was like, 
oh, okay. Like, I'm not asking you to do this. And I, I just wanted you to know, like, I don't have the money to pay you back for them right now. And he was like, no, fine. It's like a gift. And then shortly after we had started dating, I got a crack in my windshield and I didn't have the money to pay for it. And he was like, I'll split the cost. And I was like, you don't need to do that. And he's like, no, I want to do that. So between half of the windshield and the tires was $750. So he's like, I expect a, a check in like for $750 in four days and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, you can fucking want that all you want. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to give that to you. Like that was never the agreement. He's like, then I'm going to slash your tires. And I'm just like, oh my God, like what is happening in my world? And so like he slams the door and then I go home and I'm just like, holy shit. Like all I did was tell him, no, you can't use my car. Like, I was just like, what is happening? So this was, I think, um, the end of September. So I think we had kind of lived together amicably for about three weeks and our lease was up in like a month. And the next day I knew he would be home the next day. So what I did was I just like packed up my stuff and I stayed with my parents and I did that for a couple of days. And then I told my parents, I said, um, I'm going to go to the apartment because I knew when he had duty. So when someone has duty and they're in the military, they're on base for like 24 hours, like nonstop. So I knew when he had duty and I told my dad, I said, I'm going to go to the apartment before and after work. I'm going to take pictures of everything because I don't trust him. And I said, and I'm going to take every single thing that I can take out of that apartment. And my dad was like, okay, like I will help you. So we went there early. Um, like I knew like he probably had to be to work at like 5am. Um, oh, let me back up. So after I had dropped him off, you know, the next day I was gone and I'm sure like he went in and saw like my stuff for at least the night and all of the dog stuff, you know, were gone. He's like, well, how am I supposed to get to work tomorrow? And I'm like, I don't know. You'll need to figure it out. You're, you can be pretty resourceful if you need to figure it out. So then it was like all of these awful text messages. Um, and, uh, I was just like, I'm just over it. Like, I'm just over it. And I couldn't block him because we had the lease, you know, and I just didn't trust him. So I would just ignore him, but it was just these abusive texts coming in right after one, right after another. So then that's when I told my dad, like, I need to go, I need to get everything that I can out. So we went there before work. And I mean, like I have moved a lot in my life. I could tell you, I have never hustled. Like I hustled, you know, cause I still had to be to work by a certain time looking back. I'm like, I don't know why I just didn't call in sick, but I didn't call in sick. But anyway, like my dad, like so great. Like I have stuff with my dad, but he was a really good dad at that moment. Like he came over, we, most of the dishes were mine. So I packed up the dishes. Like I took all of the drawers out of the dresser. Cause he was staying in the other room, like all of my clothes, my bathroom stuff. I had furnished both bathrooms. Um, so what I had done, we lived literally five minutes walking from a bed, bath and beyond. Like it was literally like the shopping centers right behind the apartment complex. So what I did with his bathroom was I left the shower curtain liner, 
but I took the hooks and I took the shower curtain. I took everything that I had bought, everything that he had bought. I left there, but I took everything. And we went, like I said, before work. And then my dad and I went after work and I was really nervous because I was like, I don't know if one of his friends is going to show up. I don't know if maybe he did something and he's like getting off early. Like I was scared, but I was like, my dad is here, you know? And so we got everything out and I was just like, I was like, oh my God, like he's going to shit when he comes in the next morning from being on duty for 24 hours and everything is gone. Like, I mean, the couch, the, the coffee table, like the food, if it wasn't mine, like I had left that there, there was very few like kitchen stuff. Um, because he had chosen to get rid of it before he went on deployment, but I took everything that was mine. And I'm like, you've been terrible to me. Like, I'm not going to leave you shit. You know, like I will leave you what is yours and whatever we bought like together, I left. Cause I'm just like, it's not even worth it to me. Like, I don't even fucking care, but everything that's mine, I'm going to take except for furniture. So it's like, I had left my bed, but I had even like stripped it. Like I took my sheets, um, the stuff that was on the, the nightstand that was still his and he hadn't moved over to the other room. Like I left that, but like aside from big furniture, like really my bedroom set and, um, uh, a cabinet that I had, I took everything. And I was just like, Oh my God, I can't even imagine like what it's going to be like when he comes in. And you're probably wondering why I'm going into such detail, um, about the end but that is what is the most vivid for me. And that's when I felt like he was the most awful. So that's why I want to kind of just share this. So you just get a, a really good understanding of how things unfolded. And even as recently as like three months ago. So anyway, I'm like, oh my gosh, what is it going to be like when he comes in? And so I remember like, I, I got a text and it was like, what the fuck did you do? And I'm like, well, I guess Adam's home. And he was like, I can't believe you fucking took everything. And I'm like, do you really think that I'm going to even stay in that home with you acting the way that you did? Like, how crazy do you think I am? And I was just like, I took everything that was mine. And he's like, you couldn't even like leave me like the the shower, you couldn't even leave me a shower curtain. And then I started realizing after that, like really as of that move out, like, and I, like I said, I took pictures of everything. I was like, I took my power back because I did something that he never expected me to do. And with that, my power started coming back. And so when he responded and let me know, like he'd been home and he saw everything was like I'd been ransacked, um, I still would have loved to have been a fly on the wall just to see the expression on his face. But I realized that what he wanted from me was an emotional response. And if I wasn't emotional, I was able to retain my power to some degree 
and not give him what he was looking for. And so when he was like, you take everything, I was like, I'm not going to stay in that house. Like you were awful to me. I'm not like, I'm done. I'm done. And when I'm able to get my furniture, like I will come get my furniture. And so then he was just like, you couldn't have even left me a shower curtain. And so I'm just, I'm just including this because I just said, well, we live five minutes away from a bed, bath and beyond. One wouldn't imagine that it would be very difficult for you to walk around the corner and spend $10 to buy shower curtain rings. And everything that he did was to elicit some sort of reaction from me. And so because we had the lease, I still had to interact with him. And I was scared about what he would do to the apartment. Well, what he did then is two days before rent was due. So the agreement was that he covered three quarters of it because he got like a stipend for living off of base. And so he would cover three quarters of it and I would cover the other quarter. Well, like two days before rent was due, he's like, oh, by the way, like you can pay half now. So that meant like I had to come up with another like $400, right? Yeah. Another $400 two days before rent was due. And I didn't know what I was going to do. And the only reason I cared was because my name was on the lease. Otherwise I really wouldn't have given a shit, but because my name was on the lease, I was like, okay. So that was for October. And my husband, who was my ex at the time, like I had been confiding in him about all of this very unconventional relationships I have at times. And so he gave me the other 400. So when I was able to pay my half of the rent that pissed Adam off immensely, I got a lot of nasty text messages. I got nasty emails and I, he's, you know, was bombarding me with like, how'd you, how did you do this? Blah, blah, blah. And I said, it's not your business. I said, you shorted me. Like you basically you, you announced two days before rent was due that you're not upholding your end of the bargain, which we have in writing. Um, because my name is on the lease. I, I don't want my name to be dragged through the mud. So I came up with a solution that's all you need to know. My half of the rent is covered. And my responses to him were very matter of fact. Um, then, and I think that really irritated him because he would always come back with something. So then I woke up one morning, I still didn't have my stuff out. I woke up one morning and my cell phone didn't work. And we had been on a joint plan and, um, it just didn't work. So I was pretty sure that he had canceled it. So I called sprint and they said, well, what's the passcode? Well, he had changed the passcode and they're like, yeah, we're sorry. We're not able to give you any information. And I said, okay. I said, well, here's the situation. And I said, I'm just trying to find out what's going on. And so I explained the situation and they said, well, there's a security question on the account. They're like, 
if you can answer the security question, then uh, we can give you whatever information you need. And I said, I don't know that I'll be able to answer it, but go ahead. And so the security question was, what street did he grow up on? Well, conveniently, the street he grew up on was the same street that his parents lived on. And I knew that street name. So I was able to answer the security question and get the information, which was, yes, he had disabled my phone. So I was able to get a new phone um, and it was an iPhone. So, you know, with um, my other phone, it was an Android. So if you have an iPhone, you know that when you go to send emails, it has that nice little signature sent from my iPhone. So I just waited until he sent another email because by that time he knew that I knew the phone wasn't working. And when I responded to the email in a very matter of fact way, I made sure it included the sent from my iPhone signature. And within five minutes, I got an email back that was irate going, you, you said you didn't have any money when we were together. Cause I didn't. And he's like, and all of a sudden you're able to pay the rest of your rent. You're able to get a new cell phone. And I said, well, you know, since my cell phone mysteriously stopped working this morning, I had to have some method of communication. So again, how I obtain things, it's not any of your business next. And so then it was, oh, I took an accidentally took a laundry basket that needed to be returned. I accidentally took a funnel that needed to be returned. Um, I had sandwich containers like Tupperware, and he was trying to coerce me into giving him two of those. And I was just like, oh my, like it was literally one thing after another. Um, we had Disney passes. I had made all of the payments on mine for like nine months. There were two months left. He, and it was basically billed to his account and I was supposed to give him money. And he was just like, you need to give me that card back. And I'm like, I'm not fucking giving you that card back. I paid for that for like nine months. There's two months left. I'm like, I'll pay, like, I will pay you or no. What I said was you can take the money out of what you like shorted me in terms of rent, like your, your whole switcheroo with the rent. Why don't you take what you saved from that and, um, just use that for the Disney payment. Just go ahead and do that. And he was just like incessantly like, no, 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 no. So I called Disney and I said, he, I mean, he was harassing me about sending him the freaking passport back. So I said, okay, fine. So I called Disney and I said, can I change the billing? I'm like, I am more than happy to continue paying this, but this is the situation that I'm dealing with. And I just, I want my pass. I paid for him for nine months. Like I want my pass, but he's just, he's harassing me. And all I want to do is switch the billing. And they're like, we can't switch the billing to another person. We can switch the card from the same person, but we can't switch the billing to another person. And I'm like, great. And they're like, but <laughs> A replacement card costs $20. Like, what if you lost it on the tram? They're like, if he wants the card back, send him the card back. And the next time you come to Disneyland, as long as he's making those payments, all you need to do is pay $20 and get a new pass. So I was like, okay, well then I'll do that. So I did that. And I will say the one petty thing that I feel like I have done um, 
my friend gave me the idea to cut the card up in a little, like I cut the card up in a bunch of pieces. Cause I didn't at the time, I don't think they had photos on them. So I didn't want him to be able to like use it for someone else. Um, so I cut it up and then my friend's like, you know what you should do? Like there are those hidden Mickey's. If you're familiar with Disney, they have these hidden Mickey's. And, uh, she was like, you should cut it up and then arrange it into a hidden Mickey. And, you know, like it basically into just a Mickey and like tape it on a piece of paper. So that's what I did. It actually took a long time, but that gave me a sense of satisfaction because I was just like, you were the worst person ever to me. Like, and if me doing the small little petty thing just brings me joy and makes me laugh, I'm, I'm fine with that. And I love knowing still to this day, I love knowing that like he thought he had the upper hand and all I did was go and pay $20 to get a new card. And he paid, you know, the rent, the, the additional like two months of the membership fee. Um, and I was still able to go to Disneyland. Like, I just love that. And there was somebody that like, cause I, at the time I posted stupid stuff like that on Facebook. And I did have a friend that was like, that's really petty. And I'm like, you know what? In the grand scheme of things, if this is my only part in like being awful, because I never responded. I never called him an asshole. I never, I never responded in the same way. I was just like, once I left that apartment, it was business only. And that was it. And I'm like, if you saw day to day, the stuff that I deal with from him and how hard it is for me to just be neutral, if this is the only petty ass thing that I've done, I can absolutely live with that. You know, I'm just like, I am totally fine with that. And I actually sent it with a confirmation receipt. Um, and then one of the other things that had happened was before that, um, we had gone, we showed up one day I had, I had my husband, um, who wasn't my husband then, obviously I had, um, remember that controlling ex-boyfriend that I talked about when I was a teenager? Well, I had stayed friends with him. There's a whole story to that too. So I had him, I had my best friend. I had two neighbors from the apartment complex and we all like, I still had my key. So I just, I think it was like 10 AM on a Saturday morning. And I opened the apartment door because we were just going to get the furniture. And there's this random guy. I don't even know sitting in his underwear on the couch. <laughs> and he just looks at us and I'm like, uh, okay. And so I just started like going in there and like the, one of the neighbors from the complex, he's like, do you want to at least like step out for five minutes just to like get him, give him a chance to get dressed. And I was like, no, <laughs> but I'm like, fine. So, because I was just, I was so nervous because I just didn't know what to expect. And I'm showing up with this freaking entourage. And then like Adam comes out and he's just like, what the fuck? Like you couldn't call and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, it's still my apartment. My name is still on the lease. I can come and go whenever I please. I don't need to let you know anything. And so I don't know who that guy was, but you know, Adam's like standing out on the little patio, like smoking while like my family and my friends are in there, like disabling, um, you know, or like carrying the furniture. He had tried to break my bed when he took my bed apart. Um, so like we were noticing stuff like that. 
Um, and we were in and out in less than 10 minutes. And then while like, you know, the guys are strapping stuff down on the, the trailer and stuff, he's like, you know, your dog's peed on my rug or you're going to like pay for that. Blah, blah, blah. He's like, or should I just send the bill to, you know, your husband, you know, like he knew his name and he's like, or should I just send the bill to him? And I'm like, what the f-? and so I just ignored him. Like I just ignored him. And so once we left, I was like, thank God. And he had a new girlfriend moving in. Um, and we were able to switch the lease. So I'd actually become friends with someone in the rental office and we were able to get her to sign the lease and get me off early. So it's like, I was done like before November 1st came, I was done. I didn't have to deal with the rent situation anymore. Um, so after we took the furniture, um, my husband was hanging out with me at my parents' house and I heard like, we were watching TV and I heard like tires squeal and there was something in me. And I'm like, that was Adam. And, and my husband, you know, he's like, no, it wasn't. And I'm like, yeah, it was. And so I check my email and like 10 minutes after I heard the tires squeal, I received an email from him. Um, that was like, Oh, what did it say? Oh, oh yeah. By the way, um, I cheated on you the entire time I was on deployment. So oops, I hope I don't have AIDS. And that was it. And I just didn't even respond to that email, but those are the types of things that I would get from him. Um, and during the course of that, like I said, I just didn't respond emotionally to him. And, um, it was really hard because even though I knew that I needed to like keep myself intact, it was really hard, like seeing all those abusive messages come in and just knowing that someone could just be that awful, you know? Um, and I'm just like, it, it felt like I was being emotionally beaten every day. It was physically exhausting. It was emotionally exhausting. And to be able to conduct myself, like I just felt like I was being professional, just like as I, as I deal with really like rude people in the scope of my day job, like no matter what I have to be professional. And so that's how I was with him. And like I said, even the email about, oops, I hope I don't have AIDS. Like I didn't even respond to him. And to just be done. Like also in the scope of this, like he had showed up at my parents' house, like at 10 o'clock one night, like banging on my window. And, um, I was like, I'm not, he's like, Christy, Christy. And I'm like, are you fucking stupid? Like, I'm just not going to go like, Hey, what's up. And so I like went in and my dad was in his bedroom. Like he was like getting changed for bed. I'm like, dad, I'm like, Adam's at the door. Can can you just go see what he wants? Then I was scared because I was like, I don't know if he has a fucking gun. Like, I don't know, you know? And so my dad had had a spare key to the apartment so that he could go and like get my dogs if I needed them or something. And so like, like Adam was like, yeah, like I, I forgot my key. Like I'm locked out of the apartment. Like I was coming to get the key from Christy. And my dad was like, here, I'll just give you my spare key. And I'm like, my name is 
still on that lease, asshole? Like, I am not. How stupid do you think I am? I know I've been really stupid in the past. Like, I'm not giving you the key to the apartment when all of my shit is still in there and I'm on the lease. Like, that's not happening. So those are just the things that I dealt with. And it was it was so hard. And after all of it was said and done, or I thought it was said and done. I reflected on that. And like I said, I think part of why I stayed in that relationship was because I had like a low level of self-worth. I think that break where he was on deployment, I think that gave me the break that I needed to really just reconnect with who I was um, because I wasn't like the subject of his emotional abuse. So, so the beating down that had taken place, like for the year prior, like I was starting to build myself back up and, you know, I'm training for a marathon. Like I'm accomplishing like something pretty freaking awesome. And, and so I think like my, my fuse like was really short when he came back. And I think part of why I stayed again was seeing the volatility in my parents' relationship and feeling like to some degree that was normal, even though I didn't like it. And even though that type of relationship was completely abnormal from what I had previously experienced in my relationships. Um, but then also like once I was able to step away from that, I realized that how I felt in my relationship with him was often how I felt in my relationship with my mother. And so even though it wasn't something I liked. It wasn't something that felt good by any means. It was something that was familiar and therefore to some degree comfortable. And so I just dealt with it. And in my relationship with my mother, I frequently went into survival mode. Um, and whatever that looked like at that particular moment in time. So for me, you know, being in a lease, for, you know, a few months after he came back from deployment, it was like, I had to do whatever I had to do to just survive the duration of the lease until I was just like, fuck this shit. Like I'm out. And then that gave me a whole different perspective on my relationship with my mom. And I was able to, I guess, give that a diagnosis in terms of like, her behavior. And the relationship with Adam pretty much ended then. Um, I remember in February or March. So like we were done by November 1st, like we were done. Um, but I remember sometime in February or March, he had sent me an email and it was just like, you know, you need to tell people to stop calling your old phone number. Like, I don't need these debt collectors calling and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he's like, and also he's like, I don't need to hear about some guy showing up with coffee on your doorstep on Thanksgiving day. Cause I had reconnected with an old friend and he stopped by my parents' house and brought me coffee on Thanksgiving day or like the day before Thanksgiving. And I never had told Adam that I had told like a mutual friend about that. Honestly, I think it was a girl at Starbucks and I don't know why she felt that that was something she should share with him, but she did. Um, and 
anyway, so he's sending me this email months later and I'm just like, okay, well, I have updated all of the contact information for my debt collectors. I said, so I don't know to me, like a solution would be for whomever the phone belongs to now, whomever that phone number belongs to now, which I knew was the girl that was living there after I moved out. I'm like, I don't know, maybe she could just tell them that that's no longer the correct number or just block it. I don't, I don't know what a good solution is. And I said, and as far as somebody telling you something about my life that you don't want to know, I have no control over that. So maybe next time, just a suggestion, maybe just tell them that you don't want to hear about me. I, I, you know, I really don't know what else to tell you. And that was it. Um, and then I think he had emailed me like a year or so later and wished me a happy birthday. And I was just like, thanks. And so that was like maybe 2012, 13. And then last March, I get a message from him on Instagram. And my dog, Oso, was taken to a different dog clinic. And Adam used to be an emergency contact, you know, when we were together with my dogs. And uh, apparently, over a decade after we broke up, his phone number was somehow still on someone's records at this old clinic. And so they had been calling him to try to get a hold of me. <laughs> and so he had found me on Instagram and sent me a message and said, Hey, and I saw it like a few days later, actually. And he was like, Hey, like Banfield keeps calling me to about your dog. And I'm telling them, like, I don't know you anymore. And I responded and I was like, Oh my God. And I said, Well, I go, thanks for letting me know. I'm like, I didn't apologize because I had done everything that I thought I had to do to get him removed. Someone screwed up somewhere. And I said, thanks for letting me know. I said, obviously we have our dog and, um, yeah, like I'm going to make sure that your number is eliminated from everything. Um, you know, thanks for letting me know. And so then he responded and said, Oh, it's no problem. Um, yeah. Like, how are you doing? Like, I'm doing well. Like I have custody of my daughters now and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, that's great. Like, I know that's what you always wanted. Congratulations. And I was like, I'm not fucking telling you anything about me. And then I blocked him from my personal account. Um, because like five days later, he sent me a friend request. So this was like March of last year. And I'm like, no, no, just because like, I was civil to you. Like I've always been like, no, like this is a part of my life. That's absolutely like over with. So just even seeing that friend request, that follow request on Instagram, like it just it, it just brought up like all this stuff because I was like, I don't even want him occupying space in my mind, you know? Um, and I was scared because I was afraid that if I deleted him, he would maybe track me down on LinkedIn or track me down somewhere else and try to contact my job 
and say something awful about me. And you might think that that sounds really like anxious and like, whoa, chick, like you need to chill out. But I actually did date somebody that did that years after we had broken up, he contacted my employer, said I was doing things that I wasn't doing and they had to launch an investigation. And I'm like, I told you it's this person. He lives in freaking Connecticut. I'm here in California. I don't know what his deal is. Like it's been years. He's been remarried. Like, I don't know what his deal is, but he's making my life hell. And I'm like, I hadn't talked to this guy in years, in years. And just randomly out of the blue, it's like, oh, let's pick somebody and try to impact their life. Like, I think there was like four years and that guy was trying to make my life hell. And so I started like going down that spiral with this person because it had happened to me before. And so I was like, maybe I'll just let it sit here. And then I was like, no, I'm just going to delete it. I'm just going to delete it. Cause I was afraid that if I deleted it, it would make him mad and he would do some crazy ass shit because I didn't know where he lived or anything. So I deleted it. And I told my husband, I said, I just, I don't even like having to have this person occupy space in my mind. So that was March. So then I think like two months ago, two or three months ago, I have an account for my dogs and I saw that this person, um, had commented on a couple of the pictures. A couple of the pictures were, um, one of the pictures was taken in the apartment and another one, um, was when I had lost Snickers and, um, this person like had liked the photos and started following the account. And then I looked at one of the comments And it was like, oh yeah, that was on our patio in our apartment. Like, oh my gosh, remember when you shooed the rattlesnake away when I was on deployment? And I'm like, you're fucking kidding me. And I'm telling you, this was like three months ago. And then I look at another comment and it was like, oh gosh, I'm so sorry to hear about like Snickers. Like he was my little buddy. And I was like, yeah, the little buddy that you practically threw into the bra- the back seat like that last night when I dropped you off at your friend's house. And I was like, seriously, what the fuck are you doing? Like what now you're following me on my dog account? Like stop. And so I told my husband, I'm like, you'll never guess who started following and commenting me on the dog's page. And I told him and he was like, what? And I'm like, yeah. So I did go to his profile. So he is not in the same state as me. So that makes me feel more comfortable. Um, because when my other ex was doing crazy ass shit, I didn't know at the time he was in Connecticut. And so I was kind of scared that he was still living in San Diego and stalking me. So it made me feel better to know that guy was in Connecticut. This guy is not even remotely close to me. And, um, I was just like, why, why? Like, just stop. And I told my husband, I said, you know, I said, I'm never going to be friends with this person ever, but how do you act like such a villain? Like, and don't show any remorse, not go like if he had said like, you know what? I just want to send you a message that was 10 years ago. I realized like 
I was a complete asshole that I was so awful to you. And I just want to say, I'm sorry. I don't need to be your friend. I don't need us to be friends, but I'm sorry for what I put you through. I'm like, then at least I could like, okay. But I'm like, for him to just act like nothing's happened. I'm like, that's what he's always done. I'm like, and I never want to be friends with him, but I'm like, I just don't understand how you can act like a fucking lunatic. And then just like, oh yeah, nothing's happened. And I'm like, that's a narcissist. Like that is a narcissist. And I blocked him. I went and I blocked him from every account that I could. And I deleted his comments because I'm like, I don't need to see your shit. Like at first I just deleted his comments and then I blocked him. Cause I'm like, I don't need to see anything associated with you and really nothing associated with you. And these two little beings that were, and still are my world. And so I'm sharing this with you. Um, and like I said, really just how the breakup unfolded, because that's, what's freshest in my mind. And I wanted you to get an understanding as far as like my experience. And as recently, like I said, as a few months ago, and that fear still of like, if I block him, he's going to know I blocked him. Like, what is he going to do? Like, if you look me up on LinkedIn or something, like, I'm sure you can find me. I was scared and I hated that I was letting fear potentially allow him to like have some knowledge of what's going on in my life. All right. So I had to go uh, stop my dog from barking and I lost my train of thought. lucky you. Um, but as I was saying, I think maybe not, who knows? It's fine. Um, I really wanted to share this so you could just see like how this is still something that I feel, um, when stuff like this pops up and I honestly thought the last time I heard from him, I think at the tail end of 2012 was the last time I would ever hear from him. And I think he could have very easily, um, not contacted me about my dog and it would have been fine because I can tell you not that he has my phone number. Um, but if he had ever, like, if anyone had ever tried to contact me about his dog, I would have been like, they just need to find someone else. So I think it was an excuse for him to try to like wiggle his way in, which is what he does and what narcissists do. Um, I wanted to share with you, like what the definition of a narcissist is, um, some signs to look for. And then also, um, the philosophy of gray rock. And I didn't realize that that's what I was actually doing until, um, I started looking into narcissistic moms and then really just 
became super educated on what a narcissist was. Um, so narcissism, I guess, per the Mayo Clinic is considered a personality disorder. So it's a mental condition in which people have an inflated sense of their own importance, a deep need for excessive attention and admiration, troubled relationships, and a lack of empathy for others. Um, and I'm like, he pretty much hits the nail on the head and my mom too. Um, you know, I think my mom being my mom wasn't as bad in some ways, but is worse in others. Like, I mean, I, I just had a not so great experience with her just a few days ago. Um, and it's, I think absolutely stemming from narcissism and it's just, um, I I'm really needing to give that relationship uh, some more thought. Um, but I was listening to a podcast the other day and they were talking about people's needs, people's need for connection. Um, and they were talking about like children and a lot of times when children are what we classify as misbehaving, it's because they're getting attention. They don't care if it's like bad, like they don't care if they're in trouble or they don't care if you're upset with them. They're getting your attention, which is all they really want. And when I heard that, it reminded me of a conversation that I'd actually had with Adam about his oldest daughter. Like I said, I think she was five or six when he and I met. And I think he really did try um, for the most part to be a good dad. Um, I think as a narcissist and someone I think who probably doesn't know how to regulate his own emotions. And there's no judgment there because that's something that I'm still in the process of learning how to do. Being a parent is probably very hard for him. Um, but I think from what I recall, the mother was so unstable that I think he really did try to be the dad that he felt like they needed. Like, I will say that. Um, but oftentimes the eldest would act up. She would, she would act up a lot actually. And he was, it's like, it's like a dog when you're always telling your dog, no, no, no. And, and you're always like reprimanding. And it was, it was always that negative reinforcement, I guess the negative attention. And I told him, I said, you know, you should acknowledge her when she's doing things that you're happy about, or you're doing things, or she's doing things that are making her happy, or she's, you know, helping you in the kitchen. She's helping you make breakfast. Like you need to acknowledge those moments. It's like positive reinforcement. Like when your dog does something and you give them a treat, you know, it's, 
it's that same idea. I'm like, because the only time you really give her a lot of focused one-on-one attention is when she's doing something you don't want her to do. And so I would always make sure that I would like try to acknowledge her when she was doing the stuff that like you wanted her to do when she, or when she was being kind or when she was cleaning up after herself or, you know, like that's when I would really try to acknowledge her. And I started thinking about him then and my mom. And I was like, okay. I'm like, I really feel like even though they may not realize it, I'm like, I feel like maybe narcissists really want that connection. And I think based on whatever their own personal experiences are, even if it's negative, they don't care because they're still getting attention. And I don't know if I'm right about that. It's just kind of an observation, but when I think about what I know of my mother's childhood and when I remember what he told me about his, um, and just what I know of children, um, a lot of times when they act out, it's because they want attention and they don't care what form of attention they get. All that matters is that it's attention. And so you know, my mom, my mom is a narcissist and I have compassion for her. And even for him, I have compassion for him because there were times where I just saw that, that little boy that just wanted to be loved. It doesn't mean that like how he acted towards me is acceptable at all or how he acts towards other people is acceptable, but I can still have compassion for the little boy that's still inside him that probably never felt love or accepted for who he was. And I have that same compassion for my mom. Um, but that doesn't make like how my mom treats me. Okay. You know? So I wanted to share with you what a narcissist is like, I guess, as defined by the Mayo clinic. Um, and then I looked up some signs of a narcissist just for educational purposes. If you were, if you were interested and I'll, um, link these articles in my bio on Instagram, and I'll also include them in the episode notes. Um, but one of the signs of a narcissist is like an air of superiority and entitlement. So they have to be the best. They have to be the most right. Everything has to be their way. They need to control everyone. And what's interesting too, is that they can also feel this way by being the worst, like the most wronged, the most upset, the most hurt, the most tired. And I kind of laugh as I'm saying this because there's like two totally like ridiculous things with my mom. You can never be more tired than her. Even when she was way younger, if you were tired, you could not be tired because she was always more tired. She had the harder day. She was older. You know, she went through so much. If you said that you were tired, 
that would piss her off. If she asked you like, how are you? And you're like, I'm tired. She would go on to this tangent about how tired she was. So she doesn't want to hear how tired you are. So it's like invalidating you. And with this guy, Adam, while we were dating, I became vegan. And for some reason he decided to become vegan too. So when we broke up, he stayed friends with some mutual friends that we had, um, which kind of caused a rift between me and those friends, because I was just like, he's awful to me. Like, and I was friends with them for years and years before. Um, but after we broke up, he continued to hang out with them (laughs) and a comment that he had made to them was about veganism And because I would have like little occasional cheat days, um, one of his things was like competing with me after we broke up about who was the better vegan. And then he had told them, well, we all know who the better vegan is and it's not Christy. And I just remember I was like, such a weird thing to like be in competition about. Like, what the fuck is that? Like, that's so bizarre to me. And so this is just, this is just so consistent with my experiences with him and my mom. Like, it's just, no one can be more upset. Like with my mom, if you're upset, she's more upset. Her feelings matter more than your feelings. It's just a big thing. Um, another sign of a narcissist is having this great need for control. So they're very manipulative. They try to control everything when you don't behave as, as they expect you to behave, they become upset. So it makes me think of like, you know, when I told my mom, Hey, I'm, I'm moving out. You told me if I didn't like it to pack my shit and get out. Well, guess what? Like I'm packing my shit and I'm moving out and I found a place and I'm moving out in two weeks. Like, I mean, like she got pissed. And then, you know, Adam, when I had those, those two drinks and I didn't do what I told him I was going to do, it wasn't a concern for my safety. It was because like, he couldn't control me. Like that was his attempt to try to control me because I never like wanted to say, I'm not going to have any drinks. It was like, I'm, you know, I'm just really concerned. And so I was like, well, I'm not going to be like flirting or making out with anybody. If it makes you feel better, like I won't drink. And then I ended up drinking and he got pissed and it's all, it was for him. It was always about control. Um, and also along these lines, like you were basically like with their need for control, you were basically a character, like in their play in their movie. So you are not really your own person with your own feelings. Like you just serve to play a role in whatever story they want to tell themselves. And you know, it's not to say like, if something were to happen to me, my mom wouldn't care. Or if something were to happen to me, like when I was with him, like he wouldn't care, but ultimately like your purpose is to fulfill whatever need they need you to fulfill, or they want you to fulfill. Um, Another sign of a narcissist is just taking a lack of responsibility or ownership. So they often will blame other people or deflect, which is what Adam did all the freaking time with me. And a lot of the time, like what my mom still does with me, there's no responsibility taken. There's no ownership. Um, 
it's just, it's always you or it's someone else's fault. And they just need to kind of maintain this air that like they're perfect, that they never mess up. And there's also this, this thing about like, it's me against the world. Like everyone's out to get them and they're like, they're on their own. It's like the hunger games, but it's like, they are totally like on their own. And what is typical of narcissists is that they will frequently blame those that are the, they're, they will frequently blame those that they are, that they are most emotionally close to attached, um, the most loving person in the family and that's true. And I feel like with my mom, you know, she's always said, you and I have a special bond. You and I have a special bond. And I think like, aside from my dad, I'm the person that she treats most like shit. Um, my sister to some degree, but it never seemed to be like stuff. My sister did never seem to hit her emotionally as hard as the stuff that I do. Like, I, I just don't think they're as close. So I think that's where that like kind of comes into play. And often they feel like it's safest to take out all of this shit on these people because they're the most loyal and they're not going to leave them. So for this reason too, when you are in like a romantic relationship and you are trying to leave it, um, with a narcissist that can be very complicated, um, and not in like the fun Avril Lavigne complicated way, but you know, as I shared with you, it was a process and, um, man, an emotionally exhausting one. Um, another sign of a narcissist is just a lack of boundaries or they cross boundaries regularly. And, you know, I see that with, with Adam and my relationship with him and all the time with my mother, um, you know, to me, like, threatening to call the bank and, and get the details to figure out whether or not I was really saving the money. Like to me, that's a huge boundary, but also just like the way that she would speak to me and the same with Adam, the way that he would speak to me, like those are boundaries. Like you with my mom, like you don't tell your daughter, you're a selfish bitch. You know? Um, I think Adam used like the C word with me and no one has ever used that word with me. Just like really interacting with you in a really ugly way, um, I think is another example of like boundaries being crossed. And another element of boundaries being crossed or just a lack of boundaries is like, they can't see where you, where they end and you begin. So for me, like I was meeting with a, a therapist last year. And the only thing that I agreed with her on was when she said, like, you're an appendage of your mother. And I was like, yeah. So it's like narcissists typically see you as an extension of themselves. They don't see you as your own separate person. So that's like, even with my mom, like she'll, she'll say certain things. Like even a few weeks ago, she had a question about something and how people were going to be perceived that something about something that I am choosing to do. And I said, well, it really doesn't matter. Like if I don't give a shit what they think about me, why do you give a shit? 
like, because I'm like 44 years old, like it's kind of like what I do is kind of done being a reflection on you, mom, you know? Um, and it's just, it's just really interesting. It's like, (laughs) I don't know, it's kind of like they're an octopus, especially if they have like multiple people, you know, it's just, um, it's just interesting. And then also, when it comes to like boundaries, like they freak out when someone tells them no. And I think that's, you know, when Adam lost his shit, when I told him, no, he couldn't have my car because they're so used to getting their ways and, and they're used to being able to charm or do whatever they need to do to get what they want. When someone tells them no, and like holds firm to that, they don't know what to do. And I can say that that's true with my mom as well. Um, not again, as volatile as Adam, but they're just not being used to told no. Like they, it's like their mind doesn't know how to process that. They don't know what to do. Um, and just a couple more. Uh, so a lack of empathy. So this is actually like a key component in, in narcissism. And this just means like, they don't understand what others are feeling. They expect everybody to feel the way they do. They really don't think about how other people feel they're not very remorseful or apologetic. And I'm just like, yeah, like I know people say like, it's hard to say, I'm sorry, but I think people typically will at least feel remorseful about things. And I can say like in both of those experiences, um, I don't think that happens a whole lot, if at all. Um, and then narcissists also really believe that their feelings are caused by other people. So, you know, if Adam was upset, it was always my fault, or it was always like his ex-wife's fault or his coworkers fault. Like he never played any part in how he felt. And it's the same with my mom. My mom was always like upset, like with my dad or me or my sister or my grandmother or somebody at work. But then because that felt uncomfortable to me, I would always try to do something to make her feel better because I didn't want to feel like I made her feel bad, you know, when I was a kid and I didn't like seeing her feel bad because then everybody else freaking suffered. So it's like, I always like owned trying to make her feel better or make her laugh. And another sign of a narcissist, I have two more. So this is the second to last is a fear of rejection. So they really don't trust anybody, which I think they really want to deep down, but I don't know that they even really know that. Um, and what they'll do is they'll test you with like, kind of like upping the ante, like to find what your breaking point is. And when I was, you know, doing the research for this, it actually made me think about, my conversation with my mom on Friday, it was like, I called to tell her some good news. She instantly made it about her. And then it was boom, boom, boom. Like these, these things that had nothing to do with our conversation. But I told my husband, I felt like it was like, I was being like a a punch was being thrown and I fell. And as I was trying to get up, she would kick me. And as I tried to get up again, like she would punch me again. And like, thankfully I was heading into an appointment. So I'm like, I'm in an appointment. Like I have to go. Um, but it was just like, 
I would have ended the conversation anyway, because like emotionally I was just like done and they, that's what they want. That's what they want. And then the last sign, um, of a narcissist, at least as far as my, my list goes is anxiety. So what narcissists do will project their anxiety onto loved ones or onto people that they're close to. And they'll accuse them of being negative or unsupportive or selfish. And I'm just like, how many hands can I hold? Can I hold up my feet too? Because this was my entire experience with Adam and so much of what I experienced with my mom. It's lessened because of boundaries that I've put up, but I still need to work on that. But that was my entire childhood. Like I said, I mean, she called me a selfish bitch, you know, even when I'm not that at all. So when I read this, I was just like, yes. And then to me, like the kicker here is when you feel worse, they feel stronger. They feel more superior, which is what they want. They want to feel superior to you because really what it is about is them not feeling good enough, them feeling insecure, them not liking themselves for who they are. So again, I think I have compassion, like I said, for this guy, for my mom, just as a human being, like I have compassion for that, but that doesn't make the behavior acceptable in any way, shape or form. And often narcissists won't get help because they don't think that there's a problem with themselves. And it's, it's really sad too, because I feel like a lot of narcissists, especially if you have kids, like you're either raising a narcissist or you're (laughs) raising someone I want to say like me that has difficulty managing my anxiety that has moments where I have really low self-esteem has moments where I just don't feel like I'm good enough or I'm overly sensitive, even though I really don't believe that I am. I think that I'm just more sensitive to other people because of my mom being the way that she was and the mechanisms that I developed in order to be able to cope and survive. And so it's like narcissism just... it's hard to deal with. Um, so with that being said, one of the most effective ways to deal with a narcissist is to do what I talked about earlier. And that's going gray rock. And like I said, when I was doing that with Adam and my emails and stuff, all I knew was he wanted the satisfaction of knowing that he was getting to me. And even though there were absolutely days where I just like sat and cried and I was like, 
I just want him to stop. I just want him to leave me alone. I didn't want to give him the satisfaction because I knew that that is what fed him. It's like, it reminds me of that really old B movie, the blob. Um, I know that movie because my mom was obsessed with it kind of like ironic. Um, but you know, the blob, like the blob just kind of starts out as this little thing, but as it starts, like consuming people, it gets bigger and bigger. And that's when I, when I read like that description of like the, the more beat down and the worse that you feel the stronger and more superior, excuse me, the narcissist feels that's instantly what came to mind. And I'm just like, again, like, Oh, the irony. Also one of my mom's favorite movies that I remember when I was growing up was mommy dearest. So I don't, I need to rewatch that. I'm very curious as to why she loved that movie so much. Um, But that's what I imagine was like the blob, just getting bigger and more powerful, the more it's consuming people. And, and I knew with Adam, like, that's, that's what it was like, that's what he wanted. That's what fed him. And I wasn't going to give him that satisfaction. And so gray rock is really about becoming so uninteresting like making yourself boring because the more boring and uninteresting you seem, the more you become less interesting to them. Um, you're really undermining their attempts to manipulate and control you. If you are not giving them that emotional response, because think about like that, that giant plant in little shop of horrors, you know, it's like, feed me, feed me. Well, imagine a narcissist being the plant and what's going to feed them is like your emotional response. And if you don't give them that emotional response, then they're probably just going to wither away and die. Really what's going to happen is they're just going to lose interest because you're not feeding them. And to me, it's kind of like an addict too. Like you're not giving them the drug that they need. So eventually they're going to not be interested in you anymore. So a couple of tips here. I have five um, tips here, like in terms of going gray rock. So the first is avoiding any sort of personal opinion or emotion. So like I said, like if you're dealing with someone at work, if you're dealing with a family member, be very matter of fact, like you know, for me, I couldn't just go, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. No, no. Like I wouldn't even speak to him. Everything had to be done in writing. And all of my responses, I, again, were very professional. It was like, I was dealing with an angry employee and I had to maintain a certain level of professionalism to keep my job. So that's just kind of the mindset that I had, um, because any sort of personal opinion, any sort of emotion, they're going to latch onto that and it's going to feed them. And they're going to like grow like the stay puff marshmallow man. So if you are interacting with them face to face, you want to avoid eye contact as much as possible because eye contact promotes connectedness. So if you are not looking them at the, looking at them in the eye, then you're actually like fostering a sense of detachment, which again, will make them hopefully lose interest. They could just get pissed off, which I could totally see Adam doing, But again, like the more you do that, like the less likely engaged you are going to be and therefore probably not respond in the way that they want you to. Um, 
The third is just any sort of necessary interactions. You want them to be short and emotionless. So really going back to like my examples of my emails, just the bare basics, like that's, that's it and nothing more. And also like, if this is a family member or if it's like a narcissist that you're dealing with at work, like don't tell them what you're doing. And that's something that I'm still having to learn. Like with my mom is, you know, like sometimes it's like, I let my guard down and it's like, when I let my guard down, that's when she hits. And it's like, I don't intentionally like go to let my guard down. It's like, I just am who I am. And I kind of forget who I'm dealing with, but it's like, she doesn't forget who she is for a second. So it's like, if my guards, if my guard is down and we're not talking about her, then that's when she jumps in and is like criticizing me or, or wanting to ask me a question that she knows is not going to sit well with me. So therefore she'll preface it with, you can't get mad when I ask you this, or, you know, I love you, right? Like, I just need to not even go there and I'm still learning how to do that. But those are the things where it's like, it, it, it triggers a response in me, which she knows. And then she latches on. And then it's just like the same song and dance that we've like done my whole life and I'm getting better at it, but there's still room for me to improve. So when you're dealing with a narcissist, like I just called to tell them good news And I realized I shouldn't have even done that. And it's really not my dad. It's my mom, but just don't tell a narcissist like what it is you're doing. Oh my goodness. My dog will not be quiet. Um, I can put you on pause. My dog. So annoying. Um, So yeah. So as I was saying, like, don't just don't tell a narcissist what you're doing. And I, I realize it's probably really hard at times, like, especially with a family member to just not share like what it is you're doing. But again, like oftentimes they'll take that as an opportunity to kind of latch on and then have that conversation go in a completely different realm, which you weren't expecting. So just be mindful of that. And again, (laughs) I am right there with you. That is something I'm working on. And lastly, like, don't lose sight of who you are. So I know that this, this could be probably really easy to do. Like if you are actually in a relationship right now with someone who is a narcissist and you're just trying to figure out what your next steps are, and maybe your nearly constant state when you're at home or when you're with them is gray rock. Like, I feel like it's, it would be very easy to just lose sight of who you are. So If that is you, I really encourage you to try to find moments where you're just able to be free, like whether it's like going out to get some coffee and just giving yourself time to be you or going to a place that just brings you a sense of peace or just doing something that you like going out to the movies with a friend or grabbing dinner or I don't know if karaoke is open and you like karaoke, go do that. Like go make sure that you stay intact with the person that you really are. If you're doing this whole gray rock thing, just to kind of survive. And I don't recommend like gray rock as a long-term solution. Like, especially if you're in a relationship with someone, 
I would encourage you to like seek help. Um, you know, I know that there's a lot of resources out there. There there's a therapy, um, there's an app called better help that, that I utilize for a period of time. And, um, I know how hard it can be to be in a relationship with someone who's a narcissist. And I hope that me sharing this experience with you was helpful. This podcast episode is a lot longer than I thought it would be, but it is a really long story. And like I said, I just, I wanted to share with you as much as I could recall, but really, like I said, what was freshest in my mind was just the breakup and just how ugly that was and how it was so different from any other breakup I've ever experienced and how hard it was and how like, he's still trying to find ways to like worm his way in somehow, which is just boggles my mind. Um, but please, if, if you need help, like, please, please reach out and get it. I am, I am not a professional. I am just sharing my experience here, but I hope it helped you. If you have experienced this or you are experiencing this, like, I hope it's made you feel less alone. And I hope that it's given you hope that you can get through it. I am here. If you want to talk, you can send me an email at Christy at awaken the extraordinary com. You can send me a DM on Instagram at awaken the extraordinary. Um, this is a, this is a tough situation and I don't have all the answers, but I wanted to share this because it's one of my stories and I really hope that it helps somebody. So as always friends, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. If you think anyone else would benefit from hearing my story, please share this with them. Text it to them. You can share it on Instagram. Even if a lot of people act this way, it's not okay. It shouldn't be acceptable. And sometimes like knowing that this isn't normal, I mean, really what is, but this, this is not healthy. Sometimes just knowing that is the first step. Again, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for letting me tell my story. I hope this is the last time I ever need to talk about him, but I hope it helps somebody. Thanks again. And I'll talk with you soon.